Welcome to The Gods We Belong To, an urban fantasy noir podcast. The Gods We Belong To tells one continuous story in order, and it's important to start at the beginning. So, first timers, it's back to episode one for you. Now, my faithful friends, take a beat, take a breath, and let's check in with Alex. Chapter 2. It was 11.30 the next morning, and I was preparing for my meeting with Odin. When I say preparing, I mean getting very, very high. I was more than a little nervous about my new employer, and I simply wasn't prepared to face him without some sort of sanity buffer. The plan had been to spend the morning doing a deep dive into those Norse myths I used to know so well, but instead I slept like the dead until 11. So there I was, drawing in a Herculean lungful of smoke when I felt a hand on my shoulder and heard that dry, cool voice. Good morning, Alex. I jumped with a less-than-dignified yelp, scattering my pipe and lighter, and collapsed in a coughing spasm, smoke coming out of my mouth and nose. As I convulsed on the floor, hacking and gasping for breath, Odin collapsed on the couch, howling with laughter. What the fuck?! I wheezed, picking myself up off the floor and scrambling to recover my scattered paraphernalia. He regained his composure and replied, Thank you, Mr. Cassenden. I have not laughed that hard in a very long time. Apologies for my intrusion, but I thought perhaps we could talk in private today. Some truths are not for the open air. Yeah, fine. I replied, catching my breath and feeling the comforting haze of the smoke kick in. But I'm still going to need to eat something. A guy can't learn the secrets of the universe on an empty stomach. Don't worry. There's food where we're going. I planned the spread myself. Before I could object, he grabbed my arm and said, Relax. This will only take a moment. The room around us faded to dim shadow then to blackness. The darkness was suffocating, absolute. For a brief second that felt like an eternity, I was a speck of dust drifting in an infinite void. But then Odin squeezed my arm, not hard, just enough to pull me back. The darkness began to soften, shadows took shape around us like smoke condensing, revealing a rustic hall, high-ceilinged but not vast, with a central hearth and a long table. I felt a little dizzy, but his grip steadied me. See? Over in the blink of an eye. Odin removed his hand and nodded in the direction of the table, which was arrayed with a luxurious spread of wild game, fish, bread, cheese, and fruit. Please, help yourself, Alex. I hope the food is to your liking. Wait a minute. I hesitated, shaking off my first case of magical jet lag. Isn't there some rule about not eating food in the underworld, or Valhalla, or wherever we are? 
Something about being stuck here? Well, in this case, here is Norway. And I assure you, the food is just food. Very good food, as it happens, not some ruse to trap you. I have no interest in your captivity. You do me no good locked away. I need you out in the world. Norway? Was all I could manage in response. Yes, Alex. Norway. I set up this modest hall a very long time ago as a retreat, a refuge. It's quite isolated, free from prying eyes. So this isn't Valhalla? I asked, more than a little disappointed. There is no Valhalla, Odin replied wearily. There is also, while we're at it, no heaven and no hell. As far as I know, and I know almost everything worth knowing, there is no world but this one, Alex, even for beings like me. I'm sorry if that comes as a disappointment. Hidden knowledge once revealed is seldom what you expect. But weren't you supposed to gather the souls of fallen warriors and cart them off to an afterlife of drinking and slaughter? You mean the Valkyries. I simply allowed people to believe what they needed to believe. It was their obedience and, occasionally, their blood that concerned me. Souls are something else entirely. The Valhalla of the poets never even sounded like an appealing afterlife to me. Every pleasure has its limit, and despite my natural affinity for altered states, I find most humans and no small amount of my own kind to be utterly, painfully intolerable when they're drunk. I prefer to pursue inebriation in solitude, hence this little vacation home. And for the record, Valkyries only flocked to battlefields because they enjoyed the show, as did I. This was a lot to take in, but on the bright side, it meant that I had no reason to fear the food. He was right. It was good. Very good. This was the kind of spread you'd expect to find on centuries-old portraits of portly monarchs. Roast duck, salmon, creamed herring. Not to mention an array of brightly colored berries and a sweet spiced drink that went straight to my head. Mead, apparently. It may have been Norway, but it sure as hell felt like heaven, even if there was no such place. Odin snacked lightly on a duck leg while I made like a swarm of locusts and ate myself silly. Okay, I managed during a brief pause in the feasting. No Valhalla, no Asgard, no glorious afterlife. So you basically ran a long, long con on the whole Nordic world? A rather crass oversimplification, Alex. I prefer to think that I inspired them to feats of greatness. I did, on occasion, grant favors to those remarkable enough to deserve them, and knowledge to those of sufficient acumen and sincerity, and the blood offerings those I used to weave powerful magics that unlocked the deepest secrets, magics that cost me dearly. I have made myself both a sacrifice and a scandal for knowledge, and you, Alex, what would you give for insight? Think hard and do not answer lightly. There are things I would ask of you, dangerous things, that would be better undertaken by someone with a special kind of perception. 
pour yourself another horn of mead and sit down. I need to tell you about my family. I did as he suggested and filled a large drinking horn near to the brim, took a long pull, then settled into one of two elaborately carved wooden rocking chairs near the blazing hearth. Odin sat in the other, holding a long-stemmed, dark wooden pipe, decorated with carvings of wolves, packing it full of a strong, sweet-smelling leaf with a deeply earthy, woodsy scent that I couldn't place. He gave the bowl a final tap, and then made a slight come-hither gesture to the hearth with his finger. A small flame leapt free and arced through the air like a tiny comet landing on the head of the pipe. The packed leaf crackled and glowed orange as Odin drew deeply, held his breath for several seconds, and let out a stream of thick bluish smoke that coiled and snaked in impossible forms. Specifically, Alex, he began, smoke riding each syllable. It's my extended family that concerns us today. Your kind has called us many things over the centuries, gods, as you know, Monsters, as you can imagine. And also angels. Angels? I blurted out, almost spraying my host with mead. You mean you and angels are the same thing? We are by no means the same, he said indignantly, any more than you are the same as any random human. But yes... To my lasting shame and embarrassment, the beings you call angels are my kin. And they're joyless, self-righteous assholes, every one of them. With one exception. So, if there's angels, what about God? You mean capital G? Odin shook his head. Angels, but no God. How does that work? They were among the first of us. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Azrael, also called Samael, and of course, Lucifer. The Archangels. They are the core, the survivors. Azrael. That one was new to me. Wasn't that the name of the cat on the Smurfs? <laughs> Odin snickered. That really bugged him, and he is a dark and terrible creature on his best day. There are other angels, but they came later and are rabble of no consequence. Michael is the self-appointed leader and master of propaganda. The very notion of one true god, the one and only, that comes from Michael. And I'll give you one guess who he really means when he says God. Oh, he plays the part of the good servant, the loyal general, quite convincingly, I must admit. But it's pure misdirection. The oldest trick in the book, Alex. You accuse me of pulling a long con. My deceptions pale in comparison to the elaborate and enormous fiction that Michael has sold the world. Do the other angels know? The Archangels do, but Michael has them all sworn to secrecy, all except Lucifer, that is. Why do you think he was cast out? He wanted to shatter Michael's lie, so now the world knows him as the Prince of Lies, as cruel an irony as any in history. 
His credibility is soiled, and he serves as Michael's great villain in exile, a bogeyman to terrify humans and rally the rank and file, the later generations who actually believe what he tells them. Not to seem ungrateful for this behind-the-scenes peek at the secret workings of the world, but where do I come in? This all seems about 10,000 steps above my pay grade. How can I possibly help you? I assure you, I'm getting to that, he replied. I have always understood Michael quite well. He's vain, greedy, and endlessly ambitious. He has great power, but wields it bluntly and clumsily, making him easy to anticipate and outmaneuver if need be. But there is something new, something that may be nothing, Still, it confounds my understanding, and that makes it dangerous. Michael is to be married. Married? I thought angels were supposed to be above all that, like they were, you know, Kendall Blank down there. Hardly. But it's not Michael's libido that piques my interest. It's his motives. Why marry at all? His fiancée seems remarkably unremarkable. She holds no high office, wields no influence. She seems to offer him absolutely nothing. So what is he playing at? For thousands of years, I have found Michael as predictable as the moon and tides, and yet this I cannot fathom. Maybe he loves her, I offered a little weakly. Love? Odin scoffed. Michael isn't capable. Not the way you mean it, anyway. No, there's something else. Something I can't see. Some other force is at work here. Michael's current in-plain-sight disguise is as Michael Enderly, the head of Hollywood's infamous Church of Individuology, the hyper-litigious folks with all the celebrity devotees. Perfect fit, really. The role suits his need to be adored, obeyed, and fawned over, as well as his love of pointless luxury. I suspect that his fiancée, one Elizabeth Bettany, is primarily interested in his worldly wealth, or she may be such a devoted member of the flock that she merely wishes to please the shepherd. Whatever the case, we have one suspicious union in desperate need of investigating, which, I believe, falls squarely within your wheelhouse. Hmm. I took a sip of mead and a minute to consider my first assignment, not to mention the flood of new and worldview-altering information. Yeah, okay. I'll check it out, Michael and the fiancé. Maybe there's more to or maybe not. Either way, if there's dirt, I'll dig it up. But you mentioned something about special perception, this being dangerous work? I did. I did. He nodded. I'd like to give you something, which is to say, I'd like to take something from you, Alex. I may not be sending you into Michael's inner circle, but he's bound to have his lackeys nearby, especially where Miss Bettany is concerned. If they're human, I am more than confident in your ability to handle yourself, but you must avoid confrontations with my kind at all costs. Even one of Michael's third-generation half-breeds would be the swift, bloody end of you. I want to arm you with the ability to see us for what we are, so you can steer clear of that fate. But to do that, I need to take your eye. It is no more than I gave for wisdom and knowledge, but 
you must make the sacrifice willingly. I cannot compel you. Are you fucking kidding me? Okay, not so eloquent, but given his proposition, a totally reasonable response. So, you want to what? Just yank out my eye and replace it with some mystical gizmo so I can see angels? Have I got this right? A little inelegant, but yes, that's about the size of it. And remember, Alex, this is for your own protection, to keep you safe. Safe? Well, safer. It occurred to me that if safety were really one of my priorities, I never would have gotten into this situation to begin with. But still, what the fuck was I supposed to do? Who gets handed choices like that? A minute earlier, I was contentedly digesting an epic feast and enjoying a potent mead buzz while an ancient god gave me the inside scoop on angels. And now that very same god was offering to permanently and violently disfigure me so I could see those very same angels. What sane person would even consider it, let alone be tempted to say yes? And yet I did. And I was. This was just too big, too extraordinary to walk away from. My life was alright, I mean, I wasn't miserable or broke or anything like that, but when it came down to it, I had nothing. No girl, no family, no real friends, not even a cat. And Odin was offering me the kind of thing that only happened to the heroes of those myths I read as a kid. That meant that maybe I had a shot at my own myth, at, at doing something remarkable which was a hell of a lot more than I ever thought I'd get. Heroes always have to sacrifice, to suffer. That's just part of the hero deal, non-negotiable. I suppose I understood that if I wanted to play in that league, I might as well get comfortable with unthinkable things. I guess, I muttered. You guess? Alex, this isn't a haircut or even something as superficial as a tattoo. This is a deep and irreversible alteration to your perception, and it is not to be undertaken lightly. Do. You. Consent. Yes, I answered, sounding more confident than I felt. Yes, I consent. Very well, Odin said solemnly. Then you might want to finish that mead. Helps take the edge off. I did as he suggested, raising the drinking horn in a quick toast and then downing what remained in a few gulps. I replaced the horn on the small table between our two chairs, then Odin snapped his fingers and I froze, unable to move more than my eyes and mouth. What the fuck? I spat out, suddenly panicked, and then my mouth went dead as well. Relax, Alex, he said, sounding just a little too icy cool. This will go so much more smoothly if you remain silent and still, so I am ensuring that you do. What came next is hard to describe clearly since I experienced it mainly as a sudden onslaught of terror, agony, and helpless violation. In a heartbeat, he was on me, holding my head back with one hand while the other shot towards my face like a diving bird of prey. With one swift motion, he plucked my right eye from its socket and wrenched it free. 
I watched in both awe and agonized horror as he mumbled some murky incantation and the bloody orb in his hand burst into blue and green flames that consumed it completely. Then Odin turned his attention back to me. Courage, Alex. That's the worst of it. And if you're wondering, the ritual does indeed require you to be awake for the messy part. But as I do not need your conscious participation for what comes next, I give you the gift of sleep. And with that, thank God, one very specific God, I fell hard into the deepest sleep I've ever known. This has been The Gods We Belong To, Episode 2. The Gods We Belong To is written, performed, edited, and produced by Dan Goldstein. Theme music is I'll Drive by Daniel Birch. Additional episode music, Apollo and You're Not Forgiven by Daniel Birch. The True Entity of Life by Daniel Birch and Ben Pegley, and Depressed Buddhist by Unheard Music Concepts. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word. Tell a friend, better yet, tell multiple friends. You can even tell an enemy if you want. Post, tweet, shout from an open window. Five-star reviews are particularly helpful and appreciated. However you do it, thank you. You can find the show on Twitter at Gods We Belong To. Episode 3 is coming in just one week. So, until then, don't do anything Alex would